So, Merry Christmas. Today we're talking about the second topic in Advent, and that topic is peace, which I'm going to throw out here. It is highly ironic that I as an individual would ever talk about peace for multiple reasons. First being the fact that I'm a man who seems to enjoy and dwell and uh, actually like revel in conflict. I don't know why I enjoy it whenever I'm arguing. Many of you have probably noticed this by watching me and Jake talk sometimes. For some reason, I'm just great at the, the arguing part. But also because uh, peace is an interesting concept. I am not a person who is often uh, very peaceful in my nature or spirit. I tend to be full of worry and anxiety. I tend to freak out over things big and small. Uh, and then sometimes, honestly, with the way that my brain works, I will step into pure despondency, which is the concept of, oh my goodness, there's nothing good that ever happens. Everything is bad. And life makes me sad. Right? Peace. Sermon, have a good day. Bye. No? Okay. So we're going to talk about peace, though, because peace is one of those concepts that we hear about and we think about and we understand, and it all sounds wonderful and great, but what does it actually mean, right? Within our culture, we tend to think peace is the absence of conflict or the absence of war or the absence of interpersonal brokenness, right? We think of peace as whenever there are bad things not around, right? We think of peace as something that comes out whenever other things are absent, that is not all where I was going to go. What happened to my things? Oh, uh, uh, Peace is not a state of absence, however. Peace is not a state of absence. You see, peace is actually additive. Peace is a thing that you receive, that you can have. And you can have peace in the midst of conflict, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of cycles of depression. You can have peace in the midst of Christmas season, which is basically what all of those things uh, lead up to for me, right? <laughs> peace is something that you, something that is given and added. You see, in the Western world, we think of peace as something that is just defined by the lack of conflict, right? But in Hebrew thought, peace is so much more than that. Peace or shalom. Shalom is a concept that actually means basically a fullness of well-being. Personally. One second here. But, uh, and I'm taking this right now from a gentleman named Doug Hershey, right? So I'm going to use his words for a second to explain what shalom is because he can do it far better than I can and he has prettier language. He says, shalom is taken from the root word shalom, which means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. It speaks of completeness, fullness, or a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back, to generously repay something in some way. Being so full or complete or safe that you are able to feel free to pass that along. He says that it refers to an inward sense of completeness or wholeness, and although it can describe the absence of war, the majority of biblical references refer to inner completeness and tranquility, not lack of external conflict. Hence why God can call for the people of Israel to be at peace when they are constantly surrounded by a state of warfare. Right? In Israel today, when you greet someone or say goodbye, you say shalom. You're literally saying, may you be full of well-being. Peace is 
full or complete well-being. And peace is something that you can actually have, that we can actually have, that I can actually have. Now, a couple of things interesting about peace. One, did you guys know that Jerusalem, the actual city that God chose to use to be the place where his presence would be made manifest amongst the world, the city that would be the capital of Israel, the seat of God's power on earth, Jerusalem literally means the city of peace. Iru is city of, and Salam, or Shalom, the city of peace. God called the place where he would dwell the city of peace. And if you know anything of Jerusalem's history, that is a very ironic name for that city, because that city is in constant conflict and turmoil throughout the world, because of where it sits in the world, and because of it being at the center of God's plan for the world, right? But peace is something else. Peace is something else. Let's not ignore that one. Whenever we hear the story of Christ, whenever we hear the story of his birth, we hear about the birth of Jesus, right? She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger because there was no place at the end. Mary gave birth to Jesus. And at that time, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, right? So just imagine you're a shepherd out in the field with some sheep, usually with just some other shepherds around. There's not usually a large amount of people who are hanging out around sheep pastures. I don't know why. It just wasn't a popular pastime. You and some friends hanging out with your sheep. And all of a sudden, you know, nothing of this person who has just been born, but all of a sudden an angel appears before you. And if you ever see an angel appear before someone, especially in the Old Testament, there is one general, uh, very simple and constant state that people would step into whenever they saw them, and that is awesome fear, right? Fear, so, a fear to be in the presence of something so amazing, basically, right? And it says that not only did the angel of the Lord appear to them, but then the glory of the Lord shone around them which is hearkening back to whenever Moses would be on the top of places like Sinai and God would show up in his full glory and it would basically be so bright that people couldn't stand to look at it. And not only that bright, but whenever Moses was in this presence, this glory, whenever he came down from the mountain, it was such a big thing that his face glowed afterwards, literally, right? So just imagine you're standing in the dark by yourself, an amazing angel shows up and then the entire place is just lit up in a time whenever they didn't have electricity. This would be freaky to us whenever we know about things like searchlights. They didn't have those, right? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there wasn't just one angel. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, which is literally the word for the army of angels, the army of God. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then they disappear. <laughs> See, the angels in pronouncing Christ's coming 
pronounced it, and they pronounced the coming of peace upon those whom God's favor rests. They said, good news, peace has arrived. The angels went away into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us, which I'm going to be honest, feels a little bit like an understatement, like they didn't quite explain. Like, hey, we should probably go check that out. Does not seem to be the reaction I would probably have. But they went, and they checked it out. You see, whenever Christ arrived, the angels proclaimed peace. Whenever Christ left, oh, skipping that. Skipping that. And whenever Christ left, this is John 14, he has just finished having his last meal with his disciples. He has seen Judas leave. He has explained that he is calling his people to serve and love one another. He has washed his disciples' feet, and he is giving his disciples his final instructions before he goes to the cross. So this is Jesus in the middle of Last Supper and heading to die, right? And his disciples don't quite know that's happening yet. They know something bad seems to be happening from Jesus' behavior and manner, but they don't quite know what it means yet. And this is how Jesus ends off or sends off his work with them. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled and neither let them be afraid. See, as he was getting ready to go to his death, he gave or he handed to his disciples his peace, his shalom, his completeness, his fullness his well-being. It actually says in John 13 that whenever God, whenever Christ wanted to show them the fullness or completeness of his love, that's whenever he went through having the Last Supper time with them and then speaking to them in this way. He is giving them his completeness. You see, peace is something that is offered to you by your Savior. And peace is something that you can have because of what he has done for you. You may have peace because he made it possible through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. He brings it. He gives it. Now, here's a fun thing, though. If, uh, if God gave, or Christ gave to his disciples peace, if he gave them shalom, completeness, wholeness, a ability to feel uh, well-being in the midst of extremely trying times, First thing, how well did they do at demonstrating that peace during the Passion Week? Literally, he says, I give you, uh, like Peter, here, here is my peace, have my peace. Do not be afraid or troubled. Do not let your hearts be afraid or troubled. And Peter's like, got it, what are you talking about? And then Jesus is arrested and Peter freaks out and runs away. So please know, it is possible for, uh, even though we are a people of peace who have been granted peace by our Savior, to sometimes not act out that peace, even whenever you literally have just talked to your Lord about it, okay? So if you at times do not feel complete, please, please, be know, please know this, you are in good company and good stead, because sometimes Christ's closest followers did not do a good job of displaying that peace, right? But it is offered. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, do I give to you, Right? So he gives his people peace. And then he goes and he makes it possible for them to have it. He creates peace by reconciling the people of the world to himself through his shed blood, right? 
And then we like to say, okay, good, uh, all right, good, 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 awesome, cool, cool. He made it possible for us to have peace. Got it. But what does that actually mean? What do we do with that peace once we've received it? You see, here's the thing. Peace is not just a little thing. Have you guys ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, I'm missing some of these. I swear I know them. Huh? Faithfulness. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Whenever we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the first one that pops up is love, which makes sense because God literally is love, right? And so whenever we're talking about ways in which we can uh, bear the things that His Spirit enables us to have, the type of people that we are called to be as His people, love is one of those ones. We should be loving people, right? Then there are these other ones that are kind of overlooked at times. I'm just going to do the next two, and we can ignore the rest. The next two are joy and peace. Peace is literally a fruit of the Holy Spirit living within you. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with him. You have been granted him because he has made it possible. He has sealed you and he has covered you. And he is empowering you to be more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways he is empowering you is to be empowering you to have that peace of Christ, right? He is giving it to you. And so if your life does not demonstrate peace, ask God to enable you to have it. Beg him for it. You see, we're not supposed to look for all of the, all of the gifts of the Spirit. Those aren't really uh, for all of us to have, but we should all be earnestly seeking the fruit of the Spirit. Right? You should be seeking to be more and more like Christ. And this is a pretty good compilation of what Christ looks like, the whole list. You can have that peace too because the Holy Spirit resides within you. Ask him for it. In that, you actually have one up on the disciples who were watching Christ go to the cross because while they were afraid and broken and lacking peace and not sure what to do, they had not yet been given the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Pentecost. Following Pentecost, we don't see them very much afraid or lacking peace anymore. Does this mean they were without conflict? By no means. Paul and Peter had a lot of conflict. Peter, Paul and Barnabas had conflict. Christians within the early church had conflict. It occurred. We still messed up, right? Because while they uh, have the Spirit, they're also still people. We're also still people. But as opposed to being defined by conflict, they were defined by peace, and conflict was an outlier. They were defined by peace and anxiety and worry was an outlier. An outlier. They were defined by peace and fear was an outlier. Fear would come up, but no longer was fear the defining characteristic of their lives. So, what are we as followers of Christ supposed to do? Well, it's pretty easy. Uh, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12. I'm going to read off a bunch of passages to you in just a moment to let you see just how much peace goes through Scripture, because it goes through it a lot. So in Hebrews, the author says we should be striving for peace with everyone. Uh, in 
in Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right? <laughs> Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but learn to leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay it, says the Lord. So just check that out. Oh, goodness, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. And to move further along, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, <laughs> be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? Literally says, if at all possible, in every way that depends on you, may you strive to live at peace with everybody. How well are we as followers of Christ doing that within our culture? Super well, right? Just so well especially within the evangelical tradition. We're just, we're just rocking it, right? Wait, don't fall over laughing too hard. I know it's fun. Okay, go ahead and fall over laughing too hard. I'm sorry. You don't have permission to find that hilarious. Right. See, for some reason, a state of peace is not what Christians are defined as having anymore, right? Instead, we seem to be more defined by things that we're afraid of by ways that we're scared of the culture around us, by ways that we are worried that we would be losing our influence, by ways that we're worried that we're not able to impact things as much as we used to. We are a people of worry as opposed to a people of peace very often, right? And not only that, but we are also a people of conflict as opposed to a people of peace because we love more than anything else to tell other people they're wrong and to not show them love, peace, compassion, joy, but instead to show them, hey, I don't like you. You're a jerk. How dare you not believe in the same things that I believe in? How dare you not follow the same politicians I follow? How dare you have any question about someone's, I don't know, worthwhileness to lead? Unless I'm doing it, then it's fine. See, one of the biggest ways that I think that we, as a church, have failed our culture is by instead of demonstrating peace to them, we have done the opposite. And so what way could we, as City Church, begin to work against that? And a very simple one is we can strive to be people of peace wherever we go. I don't know if I've said this enough yet, but I'm going to start repeating it more and more again. We have a philosophy for how we reach out to people at City Church, right? And the easiest way is this. One, go to places where you are not going to literally annoy everyone by your very presence, right? Go to places you are welcome. <laughs> That's a biblical one that Jesus called for us to do, right? Uh, whenever Jesus sent out his 72, he actually sent them out two by two to go forth into towns without him. Whenever he did so, he said, go and go into places and see if there's anyone who will welcome you. If they'll welcome you, awesome. Be there. Allow your peace to rest upon them. May your peace be upon their house. If no one welcomes you, shake your feet off, walk away. So go places where you're welcome. Seek out people of peace. And then wherever you go, Strive to bring peace to that place. This is our mission when we do ministries at places like the Oracle. We're not there to explain theology perfectly. We are not there to pass out tracts. We are not there to... Uh, we're not there primarily to convince everyone to believe what we believe at the moment. We are there to be people of peace in a place that is often filled with conflict. 
in the hope that in building peace, truth may flourish. And that truth may come through speaking to us, and may it, please, I would love for it to do so, but it may come through speaking to other followers of Christ. It may come through no longer being as scared to actually engage with things like the church anymore. It may be through being willing to actually have a conversation with someone and learn that, you know what, no, that I, I, I do actually love the Orthodox Church. I'm willing to go there. I do actually love the Evangelical Church. I'm willing to go there. I do actually love the Protestant Church. I'm willing to go there. Like, build up this peace that enables us to have godly, truthful conversations, right? So by the way, as we go to other places, we're going to do the same thing. It doesn't have to look the same way as it does in the Oracle. It can look the same way in a coffee shop. It can look the same way in a car dealership. It can look the same way in a bowling alley. It can look the same way in wherever else people congregate, a football game, whatever, right? Wherever we go, be people of peace in the midst of conflict because people of peace, honestly, in this day and age, are attractive. People will want to know why we demonstrate peace in the midst of life now, right? <laughs> Demonstrate peace. What does that actually look like? Well, it's pretty simple. Never avenge yourself. This is one that I'm horrible at, by the way. Just going to toss that out there. Uh, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Or to quote one of my other books that I've read before, sometimes I would rather it be Vengeance is Chris's and the Lord can have whatever is left. Sometimes I want it to be that way, right? I really do. I would love to be able to take my... Uh, I, I really hate it whenever I'm right and someone doesn't know it. Like, it is probably the most irksome and bothersome things in my head. And I'm... Like, some of you are just laughing because you've seen this occur before in me, probably. Like, no, 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 no. You're actually... Hold on. No, you're wrong. You're just wrong. One of the times when I have been the least peaceful of a person ever, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and it was whenever I was finishing up my master's degree in military history, because I'm dumb, and that's what I got my master's degree in, but I love it, I really enjoy it, but it didn't really, you know, whatever, uh, guy, a person of peace studying war, anywho, uh, and as I was sitting there, I was hearing a conversation happen at the other table, and there was a guy who was basically probably like an undergrad history major, talking to like a table of like three ladies and trying to be impressive. And he was talking about how, well, you know, the Civil War wasn't at all actually about slavery uh, because it's a relatively common thought in the South especially, but even in the North quite a bit, that people think, no, no, it was about states' rights and this thing and that thing, and it was about uh, wanting federalism to be down and blah, 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 right? Have you guys heard this stuff, right? And I, being a peaceful man, <laughs> walked over to him and said, sir, I apologize, but you are dead wrong and you need to stop talking. <laughs> And then I actually held up to him the Articles of Succession from South Carolina, which was the first state to secede. I'm like, hey, just go ahead and just read the top preamble there. We, finding slavery to be an immense importance to our cause, and seeing that the North does not value this, will argue blah, blah, blah. Then I walked through why the states' right they were trying to do was the states' right to retain slaves, why the property issues they were talking about was the want to be able to keep the North from keeping their property, which were runaway slaves, why they were talking about economic issues whenever, yes, their economy was based on slavery. Like, duh. See, I'm already getting fired up about this, and it annoys me. <laughs> but I get so mad whenever people are wrong. <laughs> but instead of being kind, I probably made him feel foolish in front of the people he was sitting in. I didn't educate him. 
I defeated him in an argument. And those are two very different things. One is peaceful. The other is conflictive. I have no better. Is that a real word? Conflictive? We're going with it. Go ahead, write that one out. Conflictive, new word, put it in the dictionary if it's not there yet. And instead of actually being kind to him, uh, I did not do this. I did not feed him if he was hungry. I did not give him something to drink if he was thirsty. I failed to leap, keep, what did I, what did I do? Oh, I'm walking too far up. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> I'm like, what am I, oh, I'm, okay. I have a new don't walk forward past this point. Okay, got it. All right. ADHD people, it's what I do, right? I did not overcome evil by doing good. I overcame evil by adding conflict to it, and by doing so, didn't overcome evil, right? He probably did not actually feel uh, very well. Have you ever argued with someone who's wrong and realized that in doing so, you've actually made them more strongly believe their point? That's what I did to him. He is more likely to believe what he originally believed than he was before I spoke to him. Stages of change, <laughs> right? I hurt him by not being peaceful. I should have done this. Let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbringing. So please know this. Peace is something that we are called as followers of Christ to actively pursue. You should actively be seeking out ways to bring peace. Whenever you are going home for the holidays and you know there are the people who are difficult to speak to, your goal is not to rile those people up, but to actively bring peace for the sake of God and to mutually build each other up. Because if you do that, there is a chance that at some point they may want to talk to you about the truth. But if you try to shove truth down their throats before you have brought peace, all you're doing is causing them to reject it. The basic concept is cake is good. If you shove cake down someone's mouth really fast, you may make them vomit it up. I also really miss cake. Here's your one That's why that was in my brain. I did that one. No, that's not the right one. Huh. I am a, my thing's off. We are called to strive for peace with everyone. Oh, there we go. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That right there is probably one of the defining verses in my brain for the rest of my life. It needs to be. Because if I try to bring truth for truth's sake, truth won't really help, right? If I try to bring truth for the sake of me being right, it doesn't help by itself. No one will see Jesus just because I bring a good enough amount of truth. It literally states in Scripture that the truth of the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. I cannot reason someone into faith. I can't, and I need to stop trying. It's not going to work. If people are going to see Christ, they're going to see him through the way in which we interact with each other and the way that we interact with those who are not in the church. 
We are to strive for peace and to demonstrate holiness with our lives. And through that, people will begin to see God. And they may want to question why you are the way you are, and it's because you look like Jesus. And they may say, you have an attractive life. I want to know why you have this peacefulness that I can't understand. There's a lot of conflict happening in your life. Why are you at peace so much? And at that point, you can explain who it is that gives you peace, who your prince of peace is. He is the prince of peace. He is the one that offers it. He is the one that brings it. And we are called to demonstrate it so that other people have his peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James 3.18. A harvest of peace, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we are going to attempt to demonstrate Christ's righteousness to people who do not know him, the only way we are going to do so is by demonstrating Christ's peace to them. They literally talk about righteousness being the harvest of sown peace. So if you sow seeds into your field, you get what those fields, you get what those seeds are building, right? If you want to make corn, you have to sow corn seeds. If you want to make any plant, I'm blanking on plants now. I know corn and nothing else. Wow. Soybeans, wheat, thank you. You have to plant those. If you want to grow mustard, you have to have mustard seeds. I remember that one from the Bible. They talk about those. Hmm? Oklahoma. <laughs> Sorry. If you want to grow righteousness, you sow peace. Thank you for that emphasis, computer. It is peace sown by those who make peace. And the author of this work is talking about you and me, guys. We're supposed to be the ones who make peace. There's a reason why whenever Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, whenever he's saying the people who are most blessed, one of the groups he lists are blessed are the peacemakers. Right? Blessed is the peacemaker. We are called to be people of peace in a world of chaos. We should be islands of peace in a world that is shattered by conflict, and that storms of conflict and waves of, of horribleness are just washing over people, right? Because the world is always in conflict. Bless you. The world will never not be in conflict. It will always be in conflict. The world will never be perfect until Christ returns, right? And we want to see it perfect, but we're not going to until he comes back, right? I cannot expect that the world will be perfect until he's here again. It is not right for me to expect to have perfect leaders, it is not right for me to expect to have perfect politicians. It is not right for me to, have, to expect to have perfect relationships with you. It's not right for me to expect to have a perfect understanding of who I am. It's not right for me to expect perfection, right? And that's why I need peace. Because if I don't have that peace that surpasses understanding that Christ offers, this peace which surpasses all possible understanding, if I just get caught up in the things of the world, peace is not what it sows. <laughs> need is peace. Good news. He offers it. He offers peace to us through him offering himself on the cross. 
because of his death and resurrection, you can have peace. He freely offers it unconditionally. Do you want it? Yeah? Do you want it? Who here wants to feel peace? Good. Let's ask him for it. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Prince of Peace. We know that you rule over all things, and one of the things that you rule over is peace. Father God, grant it to us. Give it to us. Please pour it out for us. Lord, we pray you would pour your Spirit upon us and allow us to have the fruit that your Spirit offers freely. May we have love, joy, peace, patience, fellowship, goodness, kindness, mercy, self-control. May we have them all. Lord God, I pray that you would pour out this to us, that we could be people of peace amongst a world of chaos and conflict. Lord, may we be a people who demonstrates you in the midst of a world that doesn't. May we shine brightly in the world. May we be peacemakers so that we can demonstrate who you are. Lord, we want to see large harvests of righteousness grown. May you enable us to sow peace wherever we go. Father, we thank you for the peace you have sown in this world. We look forward to seeing the harvest you will reap whenever you bring it to fruition. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.